He's a sulky, over-funky, kinda hunky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. An exotically erotic and aquatic superhero. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. Hello and welcome to Marvel Vision, a Marvel Studios TV podcast brought to you by Cinema Sangha. My name is Devin Faraci, and I'm uh, one of the hosts of this program, and joining me, as he always does, is my brother. I am Knight. I am Vengeance. I am Derek Faraci. How are you, Devin? I'm good. We never made a big deal out of being brothers this whole run of the Marvel Vision, despite Loki being probably the best-known brother character in the Marvel Universe. I think he might be the... Well, I guess there's two, right? There's him and there's uh, Pedro, and that's it. Like in the movies, at least. Right. Well, I'm just saying, it's just interesting. We're two brothers. That's like the premise of the show, two brothers nerding out. And here we never uh, have talked about, uh, we haven't really made a deal about that. Because they're brothers. Well, you know, because his brother's never in it. That's really the reason yeah. why. Yeah. So. And neither is uh, Owen Wilson's brother. Although I did make a joke at one point about Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson being in different comic book universes. So we got Good that. point. Good point. All right. Uh, you got any Marvel news this week? I do, I do. Uh, first off, Black Panther sequel has cast uh, Michala Cole. Michaela Cole? Michaela Cole. So, But we don't know what the role is. I'm going to get every name wrong. That's what I do. Michala. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truly. One of the better ones. Impressive one. <laughs> uh, we don't know Rolo, right? No, we, we, we have no that. idea who she's going to be. We have no idea. We don't know anything about this movie, except there's no. not going to be any uh, T'Challa in it. Yes. Yeah. Which even that I, I I think could be trickery. You think so? You think they might have him in it after all? I think they might see GM in. Uh, I think they might have like the like black in costume, not like yeah. his face. I think yeah. in costume, you know, like we'll do that kind of deal. Like he's just like always in the background, and it's like, but you know, T'Challa sent me. He's right over there on the next building, like like that well, kind like, of thing. Like, like like there'll be a scene where he's like on a TV because, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's T'Challa, and he's at uh, the place in in Oakland. You know, and they, they check T'Challa's Instagram stories, and they're like, oh, he's yes. at Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> like T'Challa's at Disney. Oh, look, T'Challa had lunch. Look at that salad. Oh, <laughs> oh he hung out with with Hulk. How oh, nice. oh, look at that! Look at that selfie they took. Wow. Oh. <laughs> he's very much alive oh he's very much alive and he has checked in at uh at the yeah at the uh the ihop oh look at him yeah <laughs> yeah so there you go uh sticking for the moment i think with black panther is that winston duke has confirmed he's also in the sequel which i'm not uh, surprised by i think that we're gonna see literally everybody from the first movie back i think one because that's what they do in Marvel anyway. Um, yeah. Two, these people, this is a great thing for them to be in, so nobody wants to not be back. But three, I think also having as many familiar characters show back up is going to help them bridge to the net, whatever the next thing is going to be. Yeah. I that's agree. what I suspect. I agree. I wonder if Winston Duke will become the next Black Panther. It's going to be Shuri. You think so? I'm almost certain because that's what happens in the comics. Oh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. So I would almost... And plus, with like the nature of um, the world politically right now, um, I think to bring it to a black woman, I think is like a big step forward. I think it's a big deal. 
Yeah. I think it's the right choice. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying like, that's not me saying like, oh, the wokesters are doing, it. I think that's the right choice in the modern world with, you know, the thing about Black Panther is that it's a great movie and it fucking rolls and it's about nine, 10 years too late. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of like being like the first major black superhero film, um, I guess Catwoman's a super villain, right? That doesn't count, right? Uh, Steel? By major. <laughs> That's Shaquille O'Neal. That's pretty major. Did I like was Steel released in like 500 theaters or something though, right? Like that was not, they did not, that was not a blockbuster release. It was a terrible film. I, I don't know how many theaters it was released into at the time, but I mean, I, I remember it being advertised very much. Or like a <clears> lot, but That's a show that we should eventually do on Watchmen. I mean, a movie, I mean, on Watchmen. You think so? Because I've seen it, and I really don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> I think that's what makes it really appealing. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> I very much disagree. Oh, my gosh. What else we got? Uh, Josh Sagara has joined uh, She-Hulk. All right. So have you watched – I don't know him on Arrow. You know him from Arrow. Oh, is he an Arrow? Yeah. I don't remember him on Arrow. I know who was he. I have no idea. The headlines say that he's on Arrow. Um, I mean, you got to keep in mind, Arrow's on for eight years, and there are a lot of people who popped up for like two or three episodes. He might have been like that. I don't know. He was a villain, I think, on Arrow. Was he? He might have been. What's his name? I'm looking at him. What's well, him? did you ever watch um, the other two? Yes. Yes, I really like that. He is incredible on the other two. Yes, yes. He is the uh, he plays um, Adrian Chase on Arrow. Oh, the hood. Okay, yeah. He's Prometheus. Okay, and uh, he's good. He's good on it. So he uh, though on the other two, he plays the other two is this incredible show that nobody has watched, right? And it's the exact opposite of what I thought it was going to be. By the way. 100%. 100%. Same way. I, my girlfriend watches, like, you got to watch this. And I was like, give me a fucking break. There's no way I'm watching this. Because the premise is these two millennials, their Gen Z brother becomes an Instagram influencer and gets really famous, or YouTube influencer and gets really famous. And um, I was like, I don't, why would I want to possibly watch this? One, it's brilliant. Um, but it's about these two loser, shitty millennials. <laughs> they're awful. They're both awful people. And their little brother is like actually a delight. Like that's like, it's like, so it's totally the opposite of what you might expect. But he plays, there's a brother and a sister and he plays the sister's ex-boyfriend. And his character is like the world's dumbest man, but he's the ultimate sweetheart. He is just the kindest, sweetest, nicest, most genuine guy who's a total blockhead. And it's, he's incredible. All that he wants to do is design sh- sneakers and every one of his sneaker design ideas is terrible. Um, he, uh, he, he invents sneakers that has a little, uh, space in them to put your change. And so whenever you walk, he's like, that's the sound of change. And it's like, he's, but he's amazing. And I love him so much on the other two that I am very excited for him to be in She-Hulk because she hulks me a little bit more comedic. And he has really delightful chops in that in that area. Are you gone? No, I'm here. Uh, I'm sorry, I was sipping my tea. <laughs> oh my uh, god, we have a whole ten seconds of dead silence because you're sipping your tea. Well, I didn't know you were gonna stop talking. I, I I talked I talked longer than I wanted to talk because I was waiting for you to jump in at the end and go yeah because I just kept okay. vamping. I kept keeping my <laughs> thought going. I didn't realize you were vamping. 
I was I was big vamping. I, I thought you were just very excited about the other two. I mean, I am excited about the other two, but I was also big vamping. I rely on you to come in with the like, oh, okay, like or something like that at the end of the uh, sure, sure, like that exactly correct. Okay. That's what I rely on. <laughs> what else we got? I'm trying not to do that as much because I've been told by people that that can be annoying. So I try. I'm trying. Listeners to- of this show or just in general about podcasts. No, in, in general about life, where it's like like I'm doing it to, to make it clear that I'm listening, but people take it as me being like, I'm not listening. Sure, well, yeah. Whatever. You know what's really I, interesting? We're New Yorkers, right? And New Yorkers have a listening style called active listening. And active yeah. listening involves speaking while listening. And a lot of other Americans who are big babies can't handle that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call them babies. I think they just have. Stop drinking tea. Dialects. I, I can't. It's good. <laughs> you gotta drink your tea before it's the show. Not, I, I make it to have during the show, so I like I have something to drink while I talk. What else we got for uh, news? Uh, Stiltman and Pastepot Pete were re- were supposed to be in uh, what do you call that show? Modoc, but uh, Marvel would not let them use them. That's very interesting, isn't that very interesting? Because, um. It does not. I mean, Iron Man's in it, right? So, like, it isn't like they're not they're not keeping certain characters off limits because they're going to use them. I, I, it's very curious how, why they make that decision. Well, uh, according to uh, what's his name here to to the Jordan Bloom? showrunner to Jordan Bloom, the showrunner, uh, he was told it was legal issues. So. Yeah, I wonder if those are – sometimes characters will have ownership issues, uh, i.e. the original creator maintains an ownership stake, and so therefore yeah. they don't want to pay the original creator, but they, like, which is uh, shitty. The, the original creator is Stanley and Jack Kirby, hmm. right? Because he was an old-school Fantastic Four villain, I believe. Yeah, no, he definitely was. Um, yeah. That is interesting. I can't imagine who owns Pace Pop Pete then in that case. I don't I mean, know. I don't know. It's very weird. That is so weird. Oh, well. Yeah, but they couldn't use it. And at the same time, Kevin Smith was told he couldn't use Werewolf by Night for uh, his Howard the Duck show because they had plans for Werewolf by Night. But that show's not even happening, right? No, but he's talking about when they were working on it. Because he's, he's doing the rounds about Masters of the Universe now. And he's like, oh, yeah, when, you know, we were working on... Howard the Duck, we were told we wanted to use Werewolf by Night, but we were told that there were plans for him. So there is no Werewolf, so they couldn't use him. Hmm. Which now people are like, Werewolf by Night's going to appear in the night in the uh, Moon Knight show. Could. Yeah. I mean, that actually works. So. Is it? Um, am I wrong? I thought Werewolf by Night was J. Jonah Jameson's son. Am I thinking of a different werewolf? Yeah, I think you are. Okay, because he became a werewolf right after going to the moon. Yeah, he did. Um, he, uh, what was his name? I think it was just the Wolf Moon Wolf. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I now have to, I'm going to look this up. This is embarrassing because this is information I used to know, uh, yeah. uh, but now I don't remember his uh, name anymore. The Man Wolf. He's the Man Wolf. Man Wolf, of course. Okay. Man Wolf. Yeah, yeah, he's a different. He's a yeah. He's man wolf. Um, werewolf by night is uh, a different name character. Of any character ever. Uh, well, that's just the name of the. Um, that's just the name of the what you call it. The comic. What's incredible? Do you know what the character's real fucking name is though? Werewolf by day. 
Well, the guy's name is his name is his name is Jack Russell, which is a kind of dog. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. <laughs> Isn't that really wild? That is wonderful. Uh, so I remember once upon a time when I, we were children, uh, back in the day, back in the old days when we were young people, um, they used to put out records and in, in general, but also specifically records that had stories on them and they would have read along books or comics. And I had a read along werewolf by night comic with the record. And I will never forget in the comic and on the record, um, there was like a lot of like internal dialogue, like a internal monologue running the whole time. And it's very overwrought. And it's all about Jack Russell being upset about being a werewolf. Right. And, um, one of the lines that will stick with me to the day I die is that he says, he wakes up the next day after like a werewolf uh, transformation. And he says, I ran, I ran so far. And even as a little kid, so my brain away. exactly my brain went immediately to that. <laughs> and so, like whenever whenever I hear that song on the radio, I think of yeah. werewolves. And whenever I think of werewolves, I think of that song. So those are there you go. totally inextricably combined in my head. My favorite kind of thing like that is vastly different in many ways, but very similar. Where they did a novelization of the DC story Kingdom Come, and then they did a audiobook version of the novelization of Kingdom Come. And in Kingdom Come, the Flash is always moving. He's always at like near light speed. So mm-hmm. in the in the novelization, in the comic, he never talks. But in the novelization, he talks and he talks to Superman. So then in the in the audiobook, he talks, but whenever he talks, it just goes blah, 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 blah. and then Superman says, Flash thinks this. <laughs> it's the greatest thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> It makes uh, me laugh. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Great. Yeah. Uh, I'd be, in, I mean, I'm, I, Werewolf by Night could show up very well in, um, in Moon Knight, but it was, it was interesting they would not want to use that character because he's not, you can just have a werewolf. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's going to know Jack Russell. Um, and it's, it's the name. It's Werewolf it's by the, Night. Is, that's the thing. Is yeah. They might want, the, it's a good title. Yeah. It's yeah. a really good title. So maybe they just want the title. Yeah. All right. We got anything else? We do. We have one really important story. Yeah. This is, I saved this one for the end. And if this stupid ad on Hollywood Reporter would go away, I could read it to you. <laughs> Let's block it. Whatever. James Gunn, I'll, I'll get to it. James Gunn agrees with me and thinks you're dumb. So take that. Well, that's actually something that I could have told you a long time ago. Um, having Gunn, known James Gunn for a number of years. <laughs> James Gunn said that uh, superhero movies are getting boring and they need to start mixing it up and bringing in elements from other genres to, to keep it going. And this is what we discussed la- on Marvel Vision, on uh, Watchmen, rather, about Black Widow, where I said they should make it more like a spy movie or something. And you're like, no, it's got to be superhero. It's, it's like musicals, blah, blah, blah. And James Gunn agrees with me. You got to start mixing it up. Otherwise, it's, it, everything's going to get real dull. Well, I also I, appreciate that he's making, he's got a superhero movie coming out. And he's like, superhero movies are boring now, which is pretty impressive. He got one coming out in a couple weeks and he got another one he's about to just go start working on. Um, yes. You know, I never disagreed with that. I think that the thing is, though, I think is that, all right, so about Black Widow, there's a couple of things to take into account. One is that definitions of spy movies are going to be different, right? Because Black Widow, I think, is a spy movie more in the Bond tradition a little bit, although I think it's missing some elements that would make it particularly good in that tradition. Um, but it's not like 
she's never going to, you're never going to make a hundred million, $150 million Jean Le Carre Black Widow movie. Now, could you do that on TV with the Disney Plus shows? Yes, very much so. And I would like to see that. I, now, this is not me defending any of this, but the reality is that the budget levels they're making these movies, they need to bring them in in certain ways that are going to definitely work. But, but I, I think that's part of it is they also don't need to make them at these budgets. Like supposedly the budget for the Batman, the upcoming The Batman, is like $100 million, which is really cheap for one of these movies. You know, like... You know, you could go even cheaper, like depending on the character, obviously. Like, I'm sure the Batgirl movie is not going to be a $250 million movie. Right? Isn't Budget. it a TV series? Batgirl? No, it's a movie. It's a, But it's an HBO Max movie? Yes. They're doing 10 HBO Max movies a year, they said. And that's oh, okay. Them. Yeah. It's that, Blue Beetle, they're also doing, which I don't imagine that's going to be a $250 million budget either. Like, they'll keep them probably 50 to 60, I would think. I have no idea. But, it's hard to say, you know, they're throwing a lot of fucking movie, at these, a lot of money at these streaming things. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, we just finished watching six episodes of Loki, which I guarantee cost an awful lot of fucking money. Yes, especially looking at the making up stuff. That yeah, they really went out of their way. They made a movie. I mean, they made a fucking yeah. six hour long movie. So I, yeah. I'm not really convinced that they're going to be that much cheaper on streaming. I think that's just the thing about streaming right now is that the, um, the criteria for success is weird and different. Yeah. And so you spend a lot of money and you're not really 100% sure like what's worth the money to spend if yeah. you know. Yeah. Um like for instance there's going to be a Last of Us TV show and apparently it's going to be even more expensive than Game of Thrones per episode. Yeah, that's wild. It's totally crazy, but like that's the that's sort of the weird hyper escalation of TV budgets. Because we're not we're not we're not selling advertising on these anymore. They're only intended to get you to subscribe to services, yeah. and so we really spend a lot of money on it to get you to subscribe to the service. Which feels like a a doomed method. But oh, I for know, sure, right? I mean, yeah. I would think like at a certain point, it's like, hey, we can't. Not every show can be super expensive. What are we doing? Like, you gotta you gotta watch out. But no, for sure. And you know, and the thing is Game of Thrones only got expensive. Like I mean, it was always expensive, but like it got really expensive as the show went on. When you watch season one of Game of Thrones now, it's like it's like charming how little it is. Like oh, yeah. they they knock out Tyrion for a whole giant battle so that yeah. they don't have to show the battle. Well, 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 you go look at King's Landing in season one compared to, to the final season, and it's like, <laughs> wow, they really built up King's Landing over the years. Huh? They there sure did. A lot, of, a lot of construction lot of growth, going on. Yeah. A lot of growth in King's Landing. You know, it was a it was a big it was a big couple of years for real estate in uh, yeah. King's Landing. Construction industry is where you really wanted to be right around yeah. then. Um, but yeah, I don't you know, I don't disagree with Gunn, and I do think that. Um, He's right, and I think that he Guardians of the Galaxy is like a space opera superhero yeah. movie, you know. And I think, you know, I mean, I think Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier is definitely its own kind of a genre of a movie, you know. I think Loki is its own weird genre of a thing, and I think that it these, these are superhero action things, they do take on elements of. I think that actually the big problem, honestly, and this is going to get this is here comes the hate, is that the problem is with DC. You think so? I don't think they're making movies that have secondary genres. I think that the first Wonder Woman sort of was, but other than that, I think all the rest of their movies have all just been pretty much straight ahead superhero movies. I, I, I think Shazam had like that family adventure aspect to it. You know, I don't really, th- like I think that, that it, it hinted at it, but I don't think it really was that. I don't, I don't. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like they're not like going through like ancient temples and ev- evading traps the whole movie or whatever. Like, it doesn't have that. No, element that's to like it. like the the last act is all of that. It's like they start going through the different portals and and they're being chased by the the monsters and stuff. And be- and then at the end, the kids become heroes, right? So, yeah, like, but it's the not rest the whole the- movie, but but it is. But like you're saying, same as Marvel, it's an aspect of that. Like, it's not the whole thing, but it, there is that is there. You know, there, there there's the the sc- stuff in school where he's being bullied. Like, you know, we we tend to because that's such a normal superhero thing that we're like, yeah, that's just superhero stuff. But when you look at the movies, none of the movies since Sam Raimi's Spider-Man have had the bullied kid who becomes the hero. Right. We've, we've, we've not had secret identities for a long time. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Aquaman is close because Aquaman is like sort of like a, um, has elements of like an epic, you know, like, yeah, that, like it's like real fantasy style. I think obviously. it gets pretty close to it. I don't think it quite gets there. I think it still has a lot of shit. That's essentially just a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that DC's worse at that than, than Marvel is. I, I think that I, I think the suicide squad looks like just a superhero movie to me. I'm excited yeah. about it. Don't get me wrong. This is well, not me saying he, I, you know, James Gunn keeps saying that it's a war movie. That's how he's pushing. It's like, no, this is, this is like dirty dozen war movie kind of thing. So, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what it is. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it, but. I, I wouldn't disagree with you. Like, do you know what's really funny? I just was going through my old files, um, and I found an interview I did with James Gunn for the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Guess what? What? He says it's like the Dirty Dozen. That's. I guess that's his go-to. Huh? <laughs> it's very funny, though. It's very <laughs> funny because that's what I, I read it last night. I was reading this interview from like. It's like seven years ago now. Yeah. And uh, he says that the you know he was looking at war movies and like the Dirty Dozen was a big influence for him on Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. That's just funny that he's like superhero movies need to change and then he's back with Dirty Dozen. I'm making I, the same one over and over again. And I love James Gunn. In case James Gunn is listening to this, which is a non, there's a non-zero possibility that uh, I love James Gunn. I think the Suicide Squad looks incredible and his Guardians movies are amazing. And I agree with him in general. I just think it's yeah. funny that he's going to the to Dirty Dozen again. Um, yeah. So I also love James Gunn and I want to thank him for allowing me to be at the Slither after party. I appreciated that. And that was a good time. He did not throw me out. So there you go. Thank you. Yep. All right. That's the end of the news. My, Michael Rooker punched me in the arm. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is great. And gave me a punch in the arm. I was like, this is. Great. <laughs> this is... Wow. Uh, yeah, that's it for news. All right, that's our news. Let's talk about the uh, making of Loki. Facts? Oh shit, facts. we still do this trivia crap, don't we? Yeah. Yep. Good lord. Okay, go ahead. I'm trying to see. You don't even. You don't even have it set up. You're no, reminding me up, we're going to do it, but I, I got to find the right one here. Like where we were on it. Okay. That's uh, by definition not set up. I guess. <laughs> okay, now I'm good. <laughs> Are you, okay. you so you haven't put these into question form either? Then no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. What what DC character and Marvel character premiered or debuted within days of each other? Oh, we did that one. Where it's Swamp Thing and Man yeah. Thing. Yeah, we yeah. did this already. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the opposite of having it set up. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Who was supposed to be Nightcrawler's father, according to Chris Claremont? Uh, it was supposed to be Mystique and Destiny. Well, Mystique for the father, yes. Yeah. 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 And Marvel didn't want to have this transgender stuff happening in their comics because Mystique was going to be able to change her gender at will 
Yeah. Um, and well, she I can technically do, but she was going to be fully functional in both forms and Marvel put their foot down. Yes. There's a, a really interesting, by the way, Chris Claremont documentary on, uh, on Amazon prime that I, re- I quite enjoyed talking about his time on the X-Men and how he saved the entire thing and built an entire giant franchise for Marvel. And then they just fired him yeah. like, out, and they never even said goodbye in the comics to him or anything. They just tossed him aside. Yep. They didn't treat him well. And he's back by the way. Yes. He's writing comics for them again. He needs yeah. the money, I guess. All right. I, I guess. Keep I going. Okay. Uh, who was the highest paid actor on the first Iron Man film? Who was the, uh, I'm going to guess off the top of my head, that's going to be Jeff Bridges. Nope. Who? Terrence Howard, who was paid twice as much as Robert Downey Jr. was. Wow, he wanted even more movie for the second more money for the second one. That's why they got rid of him. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. Wow. Okay. And let's do the last one. Uh, this one's pretty easy. Who who made it which comic book writer made a cameo in the Captain Marvel film? Uh, I believe it was Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yes. Yeah. The great Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yes. She's a very good writer. All right. That's it. We got our trivia. We did it. Yay. We did our new shtick. There you go. Perfect. You ready to talk about the Loki making of and sort of wrap up Loki? Yes. Let's do it. And it's the assembled episode about Loki and, and just in general, look back at Loki season one here on the podcast. Uh, you watch the assembled documentary. I did. I, I thought did. this is the best one they've done yet. I agree. And and I think it was really interesting seeing them go so far back, you know, where they were like, Hey, here's, you know, I mean, they show footage of, of Tom Hiddleston auditioning to play Thor. Imagine the world where he got that gig. He looks ridiculous in that way. He looks so goofy. It's amazing. But yeah, he auditioned to play Thor. Imagine Tom Hiddleston all bulked up. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I can't imagine it, and I don't know that it would have worked. Um, uh, they they really did nail it in terms of both Chris Hemsworth and Hiddleston as Loki. He They truly nailed it with that. And, I, I think overall Marvel has done a great job in in casting. Like I can't think of anyone I've looked at where I'm like, eh, you know. Well, this is the secret of Marvel that their casting is out of control. I mean that that always is. That's where we're going to lose. Like I think where Marvel's going to lose a step first is going to be casting. You think so? Yeah, because I think that's the hardest thing to do, and I think that that's their secret weapon that I think nobody else has been able to crack in the same way that they've been able to. Yeah, and um. As a result, I think that when they lose a step on that, when they stop figuring that out properly, um, that's when things are going to go a little bit awry, I think, for them. Because that really you, – you're really willing to put up a lot of bullshit in a Marvel movie because the casting is so good. Yeah, because you, you love these you fucking love actors and these characters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, like no, I, I really like hanging out with, you know, seeing these people. You know, like, like I, I've said many times that the great shame to me of the Captain Marvel – is that they have Brie Larson and she's an amazing actress 
and they don't really let her do anything. And it's like, what a shame, because she's really fantastic, and she's very charismatic and great, and they just kind of have her smirk through the whole movie, and it bummed me out. Well, I'm very curious about the the Marvels. Um, yeah. You know, it's very curious to give Captain Marvel a sequel that isn't her really a sequel, but it's also really curious... It's interesting that she's going to have other characters to bounce off of in a bigger way. And I think that's the other secret of the Marvel casting is that they don't just cast great actors or great charisma. They cast these actors who really bounce off one another in really interesting ways. And you want to see that. And that's the secret of any crossovers. You want to see the characters bounce off of each other. But Marvel gives it another level. You want to watch the actors bounce off of each other as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great connection to the comics where it was always exciting. Like. Oh my God! Spider Man's meeting Thor. You know, like, right. oh, I can't wait to see how they they react to one another. Yeah. Right. But so the, yeah, casting the movies, movies they'll just they'll be snarky to one another. <laughs> that's what all the characters are now. So. Oh boy, uh, Mr. Marvel hater has Marvel podcast. Uh, so, but the casting is is incredible, and it's I was thinking how wild it is that Hiddleston was working on something with um, Brana when Iron Man came out, and clearly that's one of the reasons why Bronner brought him in to test. Yeah. And like, what he, luck. He, he liked working with them, right? I mean, he liked working with them. I really suspect that there was something about watching Iron Man at the same time, more or less, because they watched it like a week apart. Yeah. That just put Tom Hiddleston in his brain when Marvel came calling. I really think that's what happened. Sure, and I, sure. I, um, because there's no universe where I look at Tom Hiddleston and say Thor. <laughs> but Bonner brought him in because he wanted to give him a, a shot, right? And well, I he, think he said he auditioned for both roles, and they didn't right. tell him what they were. They just told him it was brothers. And well, I forgot what he said. He said like the names were like Mark and John on, right. on the pages, and it's like I I feel like even if you're not a, a comics nerd, you had to know like you're being called into Marvel, and like yeah, it's brothers, and one's a bad guy and one's a good guy, and you gotta be like this is Thor and Loki. He probably knew that Brana was doing Thor by that point. I'm sure it must have been announced in the trades. I would think so, yeah. Anyway, like what luck, though, to have that work out that way. And this has now become a defining thing for his career. And I, I have – there's two kinds of actors that I really like when it comes to these franchise roles. Yeah. The Harrison Fords who just want you to kill the character off, desperately want to get out of it. Like, I love that. <laughs> and yet keeps coming back. Yeah, it keeps coming back. But I love that. That's like one of my favorite kinds of actors in these things who just fucking hates it. Like, I love that. Like, that's terrific yeah. to me. Like, if they're doing good work, like, not if they're like fucking around, but like if they're yeah. doing good work and they also hate it and they think it's stupid, I, I eat that up. But also people like Tom Hiddleston who's like, oh, I'll do this for the rest of my fucking life. I know a meal train when I see one. Like, yes. I fundamentally understand that this is my whole future. Like when I, he knows now when he dies, it's going to be in the, this is going to be Loki star, Loki, Tom Hiddleston dies. Well, I, he talks about in this, this assembled thing. He's like, when I went out in in Comic-Con in character and there were all these people screaming and he's like, I knew that this was who I was. Buddy, I was in that room. Yeah. I was there that day. It's really fascinating because it was incredible. I mean, nobody, it's it's sort of sad that Marvel's not doing Comic-Con anymore because nobody did ever did Comic-Con as good as Marvel did. Yeah. Ever, 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 ever. And there was like a period where like Kevin Feige's signature phrase was, oh, one last thing, like Columbo. You know, like he would be like about to leave like, the stage. Like and Steve then would, Jobs. Steve Jobs. Or Steve Jobs, yeah. And he would come back out and he would have this one last fucking mind-blowing thing. I yeah. remember the year when um, they brought the first footage of Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah. 
the movie had been been filming for like a week. They were filming for nine days. And so in the audience, you know, me and the other journalists are like, okay, they're not going to have anything for Captain. They might have like, you know, concept art or something or a video like, hi, we're on the set of Captain America. And they had the whole fucking opening sequence. It was crazy. It was truly nuts. And um, when he brought the Avengers out, it was fucking insane. You know what I mean? Like it was truly nuts. Um, And but none of that stuff has ever topped the Loki thing. That was the best thing I've ever seen. The I mean, energy was unreal. And it was really funny because we were talking about it at the time. I think the world was a little bit different back then. We were like, wow, we're very surprised that an actor would come out in costume like that. Like yeah. this is feels like hiring like uh, a superhero impersonator for your birthday party. But, yeah, yeah. but Tom Hiddleston's relationship to that character is such that actually at the time it felt weird. It did feel like, oh, this maybe is demeaning to ask this Shakespearean trained actor to come out in this dumb fucking costume and do a bit at Comic-Con. Sure. So I think that now with the, his relationship to this character and how it's become a defining role for him, it actually doesn't feel like that anymore. It really feels like an embrace of the character. And that's the other kind of actor that I love in these franchises, the actors who fucking just love it and are like, okay, this is what I'm doing till the day I die. Well, this, this is my I- whole life now. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, in some ways, Marvel has two of those because you have, you have Tom Hiddleston who says multiple times in this making of, he's like, "I'll do this for as long as they'll let me." Like, right. I'm down. I'm down to clown. And then you have Chris Evans who obviously was like, "I'm going to walk away from Captain America," but constantly talks about how playing the character changed his thought process on life, and like how he should act and how people should act about things. And and he suddenly became very like political and like started like groups and stuff. And it's like. It's interesting that he got that connected to the concept of Captain America. He's gonna fucking run for office. Yeah, he's gonna he's way. gonna be governor, mayor, president one day for sure. Fucking mayor of Boston, Captain America. <laughs> I, I've said I've said many times. I always said why nobody like contacts Marvel and is like, hey, we want to have Captain America come out and and talk about the importance of doing something and like you know government related and like yeah, all right, let's do that. But, um, they used to have that. They used to have Captain America like show up at the White House to like stand behind like politicians, like, like in the in the Marvel wilderness. Yeah, days. But, yeah, but like when they also did like the Spider Man wedding at Shea Stadium, and and the costumes looked terrible. I'm saying like that's yeah, what it hey, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, have Chris Evans come out with Joe Biden and be like, you got to get vaccinated. You know, like, hey. well, Chris Evans might come out with Joe Biden, but he won't come out in the costume. And Marvel will yeah. never allow that. I think. I yeah. think maybe the vaccination they might. I don't know. Um, Marvel's very aware, even as progressive. I'm going to put quotes around that as progressive as they are in their, in their material. Um, they are very aware that the um, worst people alive also buy yes. tickets to their movies. Yes. So they can, they're only going to get so progressive. They're not going to like, you know, Captain they America also, is not going to worry about that bottom line. Exactly. They're not going to, Captain America is not going to say vote Biden. Yeah. Um, so Fox news spent two days talking about how Captain America said he was not, I'm Captain America or whatever anymore in the, in a recent comic. I can only imagine if Captain America showed up with Joe Biden, what they would do. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. And, and yeah. that, th- you know, so they'll draw a line there, but um, yeah, Evans is a, a guy who really uh, attached himself to that role in a really exciting way. I mean, like, and you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun when they really embrace it in a big way, when it really yeah. becomes part of their deal. I think, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, oh my God. I have like Alzheimer's or something right these days. Um, I hope not. Uh, the Hulk. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Or Ed Norton. Or No, Mark Ruffalo. 
Yes. Mark Ruffalo. Although Ed Norton had a lot of ownership over the Hulk. And Ed Norton, I can't tell the whole story because it's not my story to tell, had some crazy fucking meetings about the Avengers and like what his vision for the Avengers was going to be. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, some crazy meetings. Uh, but uh, Mark Ruffalo really embraces the Hulk. And he really embraces the Marvel uh, troop. You know, he really embraces But he won't get the tattoo. Actors. Yeah, that's true. He won't get the Avengers tattoo. Everybody else got Avengers tattoo. He didn't. Yeah. And uh, well, he wants to be able, is still very upset about that. Apparently. He wants to be able to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Oh, does he? Well, there you go. All right. I don't think. He's, I think. I don't think Ruffalo is a Jewish name, right? That isn't that. I Italian didn't think so either. But I wasn't going <laughs> to question you on that because <laughs> I'm not going to question somebody's ethnicity. <laughs> uh, but yeah, these old Hiddleston videos are really great. But the whole doc is really good. And part of the Hiddleston embracing this thing is that he narrates the doc. Yes. Like yeah, that's a really big part good. of the embrace of it. Like that he's like so deeply involved that he is embracing the documentary about his own TV show. Yeah. Yeah. And he has one of those great voices to do narration. He's fantastic for it. Yeah. Like, like it, it, watching this, I was like, man, I wish they still did. Like when superhero movies first started getting real big and they were putting them on DVDs, they always had that little like 10 minute, 12 minute feature that just went through the history of the character. Right. In the comics, and there was always like just shots from the comics and like somebody narrating over, it. and it's like, oh, he'd have been great for those. Too bad they don't do that anymore. They them. do those as the Marvel Visions, I think they're called, or Marvel Legends, or something like that. No, they but do th- that's only that, that's about their characters in the movies. In the movies, yeah, yeah. I, I loved it when it would be like the comics because they'd have to like, especially the DC ones, they'd be like, all this stuff happened, and then Crisis, and none of that matters. <laughs> 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 And then move on to the next thing. You know. um, it was really exciting to see in this documentary um, how enthusiastic everybody was behind the scenes. They really were trying to create something good. Yeah. Not that the other shows weren't. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, but I think that everybody involved in Loki, I think, understood very early on they had something very special on their hands. Well, I think it's really clear, too, that Loki had a lot. I, I would say Marvel, I guess, also felt a lot for Loki because Loki clearly had a bigger budget than everybody else. And and we see in the behind the scenes stuff that like, OK, we built this entire 360 section of an alien city so that they could play around. And, and Hiddleston says, this is the biggest Marvel set I've been on. It's bigger you know, than the ones I've been on in the movies. I'm, I'm like, going to tell you something. True? I don't think so. OK. I was on the set of Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. It was... It was an enormous outdoor set of an alien city and an Asgardian town square that was enormous and was truly like 360 on both of those sets. And the um, alien planet uh, for what's the name of the planet in, in, in Ragnarok? I want to say Lothal, but that's not the garbage planet they go to. Yeah, I don't, I don't really. I don't know. Oh, this is a bad Marvel podcast, but um. I'm the that, DC guy. All right. So that was so it was, it was Sakaris, wasn't it? It was sure. Sakaris, I think. Um, that was so Kirby-esque. I was like, I, I, I was on that set. Right. And yeah. I made the publicist take a picture of us, the journalists in front of some of these buildings because the buildings were so Kirby-esque, like yeah, so crazy like circles and lines all over them. Yeah. That, that Kirby did. Yeah. And it was really big and you could like wander through alleyways and then you would yeah. wander through alleyways and then you would come out on an Asgardian, um, town square from another sequence. So they had them built side by side. It was incredible. So, and he was, as far as I remember, he was in that movie. So, um, he maybe didn't do shooting on those sets, I guess, which actually is true. He's on, on those sets. He's on those sets, right? Although he's in, he's, I guess he's, he's at that 
stage performance in Asgard, but that probably wasn't a very big. Scene. That's a different. That's a different. Yeah, set. yeah the, no, you're talking about when uh, what's his face is on the run, right? No, it's when Hela comes in and kills everybody. Oh, and kills everybody. Okay, yeah. And yeah, yeah. she comes in, and she kills everybody. That's the that's the set, and it's like a whole. It was like a whole town square that they built, and then um, for the planet when the Hulk. But, but and, I don't think that's as intricate as like what they had in Loki. Like this is a town square that's you know mostly empty. Yeah, but like then they had buildings everywhere, and they they go into like the black light painting they did to make everything glow. And well, they and had that too on the alien planet when on Hulk, the alien planet they had when it. Hulk and when Hulk and Thor are like running on the alien and there's planet the, the parade and whatnot going on. Yeah, that was a pretty yeah. big set. Although I guess Loki wasn't on that, so I guess Tom Hiddleston just never came to that set. I guess is what is what Maybe. the truth of the matter very is. Possible, I guess that's very possible. I'll tell you though, he's not super lying because I've been on a lot of Marvel sets over the years, and um, I would say like a tremendous number of them are just giant fucking green screens. Yeah, I mean, and you watch the making of it, and you can see it's blue and green screens all over the place. I'll just never forget being on the set of Civil War, and it's the big airport fight sequence, and um, I was on the set of that, and it was a fucking parking lot. It was literally a parking lot. Yeah, and they just put a big green screen behind them on this parking lot, so that they could. CG in a different parking lot. <laughs> it's, the, it's a parking lot for planes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will never get over how bland of a, of a spot for a fight that was. I never thought about it, but an airport really is just a parking lot for planes, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty incredible now that you talk, talk about it that yeah. way. Um, but like to watch, especially Kate Heron, the director, the enthusiasm that she has and I just really like I became a big fan of hers. Uh, I had yeah. seen her I had seen her her other work like Sex Education before. I I liked her work, but I became a fan of her after watching this documentary because she just seems really enthusiastic and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh her and the the cinematographer, I I did not write down her name, but but she was talking about like the importance of color and how they use it in the in the show yeah. and it it made me realize like yeah, this show was so much more interesting to look at than the other two shows. Like they, they really spent time and money and painted a canvas and like really played with everything. I'm going to be fair to the other shows. They always do that. Uh, your cinematographers always do that. They always are thinking that it doesn't but, but, always, but work this show forward. really does. Like, yeah. Like, it was like, really forwarded. Yeah. Yeah. Like WandaVision has the thing where they're doing the different errors and they're doing sitcom. So they had to stick with sitcom lighting a lot of the time. Right. So you're dealing with that a lot. And then, but that's in the finale. It, I think I want to say to you, by the way, that you not to be dismissive of that because that, no, 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 no. I'm not being dismissive. It's incredibly but, challenging and yes. to make it both look like that lighting, but also work with digital cameras and for modern audiences, incredibly challenging. Cinematography. I, I'm, I'm willing to bet. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I, I'm I'm not putting it down because that was a style and look they were going for. But it, it it's not something you look at and you go, oh, how filmic, how like, oh, you know, really drags pulls you in and blah blah blah. It's that's they were going for a very specific thing. They pulled it off very well, I think overall. You know, and then the the final scenes, the the final bits where it's not in sitcom stuff was a lot of outdoor stuff. So they just have natural light for a lot of it, and you know. It looks like a Marvel, like most Marvel. Yeah, that was that yeah. was some of my least favorite stuff in yeah. WandaVision was yeah. the, sort of that final episode business. And then... In terms of how it looked, you know. Yes. And then Falcon and Winter Soldier, the same thing, where it's a lot of exteriors, so they're not playing too much with light. 
They where, are. They they definitely are. Um, they're doing like a lot of washed out colors. I mean, like this cinematography is extraordinarily complicated. But, but and what, just what, because what you're saying, outdoors doesn't mean that you're just letting the sunlight yeah. it. Like there's a lot of no. work that goes into it. But, and but it's what I'm very saying important. Is I just want to say natural look. Is what in, I'm ca- in case somebody's listening to this and is a cinematographer, I want to let them know that I do understand that even especially filming outdoors in natural light, it, it creates its own. There's a reason yes. why they filmed inside for so long so often because it's so yes. much easier to control your conditions and stuff like that. Um, there's so much work that goes into filming outdoors and you know, from matching shots because of different amounts of sun or clouds to uh, you know just different intensities of light, having to play with that, all the, the work that goes yes. into that. When you go watch people shooting outdoors, they have these incredible bounce uh, things they set up yes. because they got to really capture the light in big ways so there it's a very very difficult work and they 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 had a, a specific style for falcon winter soldier that was probably closer to what they were doing in like in like winter soldier the the movie they were trying to go for that sort of more desaturated look a little bit but that would read to us as quote-unquote real and i think that you're right about that yes and well if i can finish yes they were going for a naturalistic look where loki was going for something different something that we don't see in the Marvel stuff very often, you know, which is much more out there and weird and a lot of shadows and lights. Like they, they mentioned a couple of times, like to them, a lot of this was a detective story. So there was like a noir shadow feel to a lot of it as well. And I think they did a great job with that and the colors as well. They did incredible. It's the, the, the show looks incredible. The design is incredible. I do wonder, um, we don't get that much of Michael Waldron, the showrunner, um, and the the head writer of the show, but when no. we do get him, he does appear to be freezing. He does, he does seem cold. Is yes. he okay? Do you think Michael Waldron is okay? Do you think he has like a blood thin disease or something well, like that? He's wearing like a he's wearing he's wearing like an undershirt, a shirt, yeah, and then a, like a, like a, a button down shirt that looks like it might be thick, and then he's got a big fucking puffy jacket on top of that. Yes, yeah. I, I'm I'm guessing maybe the sets were cold. I don't know. I can't say. They I shot in notice. Atlanta. I can't imagine they were that cold. But, but they were in, they were indoors, right? So they're in the state the stages. So yeah, but know. those stages get real fucking hot because those lights are unbelievably hot, and you're inside, and you can't run AC because you have to be quiet. And then um, I remember I went on the set of here's a movie that's going to fucking blow your mind to think about this. Cirque du Freak, the Vampire's Assistant. I saw that movie when I was in Ireland. Uh, I was on the set of that movie, and they shot that movie. There was a real period they shot a lot of movies in Louisiana because they were given a really good tax credit. But the thing is that Louisiana is a fucking swamp, and it's unreal. And to be on that set indoors, they had these giant tubes that were attached to air conditioners that they could run in between takes, and we would run to the tube and put our faces in front of it because just like 10 minutes of doing a take would be enough to make the entire stage unlivable. Um, so even indoors, I guess they began shooting in February. So I guess it does get chilly in Atlanta, but it, I've been on Marvel sets in Atlanta and those studios are fucking disgustingly yeah, no, I, hot. I don't know why he was dressed that way. I don't know. But, he's so cold. I'm so worried he, about he, Michael Waldron. I, I did notice when they showed the writer's room that he uses the Dan Harmon story circle. Well, he's a Rick and Morty guy. Yeah. But I just thought that was interesting. Like, oh, look at that. He uses the, the Harmon yeah, that's circle. Yeah, that's where he learned. He learned uh, at the yeah. feet of Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon puts so much work into his Instagram. Dan Harmon puts so much work into a lot of things, I guess. Right? Like he, he does a lot of woodwork. He does a lot of woodwork. Although he's been doing less yeah. of that on Instagram. I don't know if he's still doing it or not. I don't know. He's been playing a lot more Minecraft lately. So. A lot of Minecraft. He's not like Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen puts a lot of work into his vases, and he he's yeah. continuously creating vases. Um, Harmon spent a lot of money on woodworking stuff, and then now his Instagram is largely Minecraft. Yeah. 
But I think I, I think he goes back and forth, back and forth. Well, they're that's all things that you build with, right? So he's just yeah. getting building done in different ways. Yeah. I mean, that's always, that's his thing is building. Even even when it comes to writing, he always talks about it in terms of building. In like a different world, he would have been like a contractor. Yeah, he could have been a carpenter. Could know. have been a carpenter. He could have been a carpenter. Um, we don't get, but we don't get as much Michael Waldron as I would have liked, honestly. No, I, w- I was surprised by how little of him there was, actually. I, w- I was a little shocked by that. We got zero Kevin Feige. Yes, that was interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, and I think we didn't get that much Kevin Feige in the Falcon and Winter Soldier one either. And I really wonder um, like, how much of that is a truly purposeful decision that Feige, as the face of Marvel, is happy to let other guys step up because he doesn't feel threatened as the face of Marvel. Do you know what I mean? Like, Because they had a different Marvel guy talking um about like the behind the scenes marvel stuff and he said the thing that made me the most irritated in the whole documentary by the way What's um that? he uh <laughs> it's really honest like i can't be mad about it because it's really honest right but he says you know the tva i've always been really interested in the tva ever since i was flipping through pages of the comics here while i work at marvel yeah and I'm like, my man, like pretend like you read the shit. But also, I respect the fact that he doesn't pretend like he like he and, reads the and, shit. And also, in fairness, it's not like the TVA shows up in the comics a lot. No, no, of course, I know, I yeah. totally get it. But the TVA is part of like a very famous particular storyline and a run, yes. a very a famous run in particular. And yeah. um, I, I was just like, when he goes, you know, flipping through pages of comics here at Marvel, I was like, my okay. man, like just pretend you're reading them. Like even like you're not reading them when they came out. Like pretend you're reading them now. Did you see the David Goyer interview today about Superman? I saw him talking about Wesley Snipes choking him out. Okay. Well, I didn't see the, the Superman same interview that, that when he, the worst note he got for Man of Steel was at the end of the movie, they fly the ship that Superman came to Earth on into the bigger ship and blow it up. Won't that be a problem? Superman needs that ship to go back to Krypton. And, you know, obviously. That's not something Superman can do because Krypton does not exist anymore. It explodes in the first 30 minutes of the movie. So, so he's like, that, that was a bad. Did he say who gave the note? He did not. No, he did not. Do you know what's really interesting that when JJ Abrams wrote a Superman script, Krypton did not blow up. And you might remember in Superman Returns, he goes to Krypton in the beginning. He's coming he back from Krypton. Well, he's coming back from the ruins of Krypton. The ruins yeah. of Krypton. Yeah. So like, um, like, and it is something in the comics. He's got to Krypton many, many times as well. Somehow. So like, it's not an out there thing to say, but it's also like. Yeah, but I'm wondering if the if the executive who whether it was an executive or I don't know was it Zack Snyder. Like I'm very curious. No, I'm pretty sure it was an executive. Um, but I wonder if the executive, um, had worked on the JJ script. That's very possible. And then that was his understanding of Superman is that Krypton never blew up. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then if he's reading this script and the first 30 pages are Krypton explodes, he should remember that when he gets to the end of the script and be like, oh yeah, it blew up. Uh, I mean, that is, that is, that is a good point. I mean, um, I wonder if maybe they didn't have the explosion of Krypton in the beginning. Maybe I mean, that's what. He says in the interview, he's like, I, I said to him, you, you might remember in the first 30 minutes, Krypton explodes. Oh, okay. So I went like, just good morning. They had to skip that. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Because like, frankly, they should have. So opening, opening, uh, oh, that's my favorite part of the movie is all the Krypton stuff. Well, the Krypton dildos is great. Uh, you have, but... you have Jor-El dra- flying around in a dragon. It's amazing. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love that stuff. Like when I first saw that movie, I sat in the theater and he jumps onto a dragon 
and he flies and i'm like oh my god they're going like crazy krypton with this like this is like pre john Byrne krypton stuff that's exciting to me and then the rest of the movie happens (laughs) um but uh you know but feige it does seem as though he does not need to be the main guy all the time and you got to give him credit for that yes yeah but also smart as well well, also the other thing is that I like Kevin Feige. I have spent some time chatting with Kevin Feige. Very nice guy. A good businessman. Obviously has a genius because he's brought this to where it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but he's just not like – he's not like the world's he's best on-camera guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's He doesn't really have that Walt Disney thing. You know, like Walt Disney yeah. was great on camera. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't quite have that. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not a showman. He's, he's yeah. not a Disney. He's not a, a – P.T. Barnum, he's not a Stan Lee, you know. Right, but he's definitely not. That's the thing. He's not a Stan Lee, yeah. Like, like I, I watched after uh, Richard Donner passed away, I watched a thing on YouTube that was Jeff Johns and Kevin Feige giving a speech about Donner at like a, a dinner for him, like the pre-Donner death. And it's clear from watching, like, oh, neither of these guys should be in front of the camera. Like, they, they're they both very smart guys and, and they're very talented, but they are not good at, at public speaking. Was this a Donner party? I guess this was a Donner party. <laughs> what, did, what did they eat at the Donner party? They ate Donner. <laughs> it's actually how he died. Nobody wanted to talk about oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah. Horrible joke. Oh, oh. boy. Um, so uh, in the in the making of Loki, what was also really delightful was um, Owen Wilson. Yes. Oh, I, I love the story about like, Owen Wilson would be like, you know, I talked, I was talking to Tom and I said, did you, you've done Shakespeare? And Tom said, oh yes, yes. Uh, I played Hamlet. Have you, have you played Hamlet? He's like, who, who asked me if I play Hamlet? <laughs> like it's such a good, and he's like, he's like, Ben, ben Siller's never sat around, but like, I wonder if Owen Wilson has played Hamlet before. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, it's good editing in terms of like the um, documentary. Like one of the things in the WandaVision documentary is they had some funny stuff, but they didn't linger on it properly. Yeah. So like with his like like his fake butt and stuff like that was really yeah. good, but like they didn't go with it enough. They like didn't it, explain what the fake butt was, and I'm still wondering for the right. rest of my life. And so, but this show, this documentary, they really went, I think, and they really brought us to these relationships and gave us these jokes, and they let them be like running jokes, like with like Owen Wilson talking about uh, two gentlemen from Verona and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think that that really, this is a really well done doc. I mean, like this it, is the thing is that technically this is like you know next level EPK fluff stuff technically yeah, I mean, this is you'd see this on the dvd as an extra and you know but this is a really good version of this that, is really think, well actually. done yeah no this is really well done um you know, you know i i think this is a really it's because also it does bring you actually into the creative process that's the other piece of it that i think is really good it actually goes into the creative process it isn't just like well then we're, we're shooting here and we're doing this and then they really go into the decision making they really go into some of the thought process they talk about Richard E. Grant, they always envisioned him as classic Loki. Yes. Um, he's really great in this documentary. He's I very love funny. that too. When, when he's, uh, Tom Hilson is, is standing there with Grant and he's like, yeah, you know, right away we were like, oh, if he doesn't do it, what will we do? And Richard E. Grant goes, get someone else. <laughs> well, Richard Grant's about to say somebody else's name. Yes. Like he's like, he's right about to say somebody else's name. Like it's really funny. I kind of want to know who Richard Grant thinks is like the guy they call after him. I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was really, really delightful. Um, and then, you know, it was really interesting. Michael stuff. Sheen. 
That's it was really point. interesting stuff with Jonathan Majors too, um, and it addressed some of the stuff that we talked about last week on the show. Yes, yes, I, I actually I wrote down uh, what he said is uh, I think with He Who Remains, uh, the objective of me was to give the largest campus possible. From that, as Kang begins to rear his head and do his deeds, in many ways he has no choice but to be in opposition or be different from He Who Remains. Yeah, and that made me very happy because yeah, I suggest just... that Kang is not going to be. Right. And that does seem like an obvious thing. I mean, not to say obviously with Hollywood movies, who knows what an obvious thing is anymore. But like in terms of that, those decisions that were made in that, it does seem like that was the obvious decision. And I'm glad that's the decision that they're going with. Now, here's something. I've got a question for you. Was he cast for Loki or was he cast for uh, Quantumania? Both. So what happens is that Kate Heron had to come sit in on um, the Quantum Media casting sessions. Okay, okay. Um, um, because what it is – so here's the thing. So here's the long and the short of it. He Who Remains is a character from the comics. He is not Kang. Yes. He is the guy that is behind the TVA. He is just an old man. He's an old man who's seen all of history, right? So that's real. Like that's a character from the comics. Um, he is not Kang. But when they were doing this and they had Quantumania going at the same time, obviously the idea – became well we probably need it just probably makes sense to have these be the same person or in some way be related like it just yeah. seemed weird to ha- not have it be that way yeah and so she went in and she sat in on the casting sessions so okay. so the, okay. everybody was involved okay interesting yeah um and uh they sort of talk about it a little bit here it's funny because like this is the first time anybody says kang Yes. Out loud. Because like, yeah, they never say Kang like, in the, in the show. Kang. Yeah. I was like, oh. And they know. do show Kang stuff because they show Ravonna Renslayer stuff too yes. uh, from the comics. And they have Gugu Mubata Raw talk a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, it's very fascinating to. There, so there was, there was, gosh, we had a commenter on the Patreon. I don't now. I can't remember what he said. I'm going to find this comment because it's about this topic, and so I think it's actually worth discussing here. Um, can you vamp for me while I while I I, I look here on the because I, sure uh, I, I want to talk about uh, just one thing while you look for that. I'll go back. I was really sad to find out that Owen Wilson was wearing a wig because I was like totally right. Really, isn't that incredible? Like, like oh, it's a wig. Oh. And I do like him talking about how he might keep the mustache because he keeps getting uh, uh, what do you call it. Uh, compliments on it. I was like, yeah, people like it. Yeah. So, so Doug Lane, Doug Lane Anderson, I think, left a really interesting comment. Am I the only one that finds it incredibly annoying that the only reason people are calling him Kang is because of the casting announcements in the trades? If they didn't announce Majors was playing Kang and Ant Man, nobody would be calling him that because none of the info exists in the text of the show. Or at most would be a popular theory Reddit would cling to like Mephisto. I just hate this idea that Marvel can use general consciousness to fill in gaps of their storytelling. Like if you're gonna spend fifteen minutes dumping exposition, you could throw in a Kang name drop at the very least. Yeah. And so I think watching this making it and again i think that that was it's a good comment like i, I read that comment and said that's really good because that that is part of what marvel does you know like so when we did the episode about black widow um yeah. the secret aid the guy who's black widow's assistant guy um uh mark mark russell i forgot no, i can't remember his name um but he's like a he's like a minor character from the real mcu or from yeah. the real comics universe and like but they don't really give his name in the movie like it's like kind of wild about how they do that a lot they don't always give people's names or whatever yeah. Um. And in fact, I you know what? So, so my my girlfriend did not know that Taskmaster was Taskmaster. 
They never call Taskmaster Taskmaster. They, they say activate the Taskmaster protocol. That's it. Okay. They don't say Taskmaster, right? So they do that a lot in these. Yeah, they, they're things. still real wishy washy on on superhero names, which makes me sad. Yeah, it really sucks, and it's like it's like a real bummer, and it's it's, it's a continuous, endless bummer, frankly, with with Marvel that they do that. Um, I don't really know why. To, they to be fair, it's not just Marvel. Is it everybody does that? I mean, is Aquaman ever called Aquaman? I think they're like, he's the Aquaman, and that's about it. They do but call like, him the Aquaman. Yeah, yeah, they do that one time. And, and, and let's keep in mind, in Man of Steel, they specifically go out of their way to never call him Superman. You know, and it's like, fuck you. Is how I feel about that. It's like, no, he's Superman. Just call him Superman. Stop being stupid. Like, that's who well, he is. There's so much embarrassment in the Snyder stuff. Yeah. For for the superhero comic origins of these guys, that that just makes perfect sense, you know. But but um, I, I think that also kind of like, I mean, Hawkeye is called the Hawkeye, you know, codename the Hawkeye, and it's like no, he's just Hawkeye. Just relax, like, calm down. Like we don't need <laughs> like the in front of it to make it sound more important, and, and you don't need to like be kind of like embarrassed by it or anything. Like it's fine. Like like the great thing in iron man is that he's like i am iron man hey it's me i'm iron man like done that's great good job you know captain america is captain america but everybody else are like right i guess people call me the black widow and it's like oh, like just be the black widow it's fine well she's black widow because there's a million black widows she's not even yeah. black widow there's a hundred thousand black widows yeah, as, as we find out later but when she was first introduced she was black widow you know we didn't know they were all called black widow back then. right but like that's their explanation even then like it's yeah. like this continued it's, it's sense of like embarrassment about the idea that there's yeah. a character named black yeah. widow you know store I, I love that star lord is because he wants to be called star lord i love right. that like right. I, that's so exciting to me and fun you know yeah no don't, 100%. Be, don't be ashamed of it dude like not to go too far off one thing i'm so excited about with suicide squad is that Starro looks like Starro because yeah, really I feel does. like anyone else, any other director would have been like, you got to make him look more monstrous and crazy. And yeah. Like, oh, you know, and it's like, no, he just looks like Starro. That's great. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That is a big, 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 big plus. That's a big, yeah. big, big plus. All right. So I, I think that the, the, in general, the, um, the making of is just, it's a, it's a home run. I think in terms of these things and, you know, obviously they're all promo and stuff like that. They don't really go into, pandemic like they did in falcon and winter soldier but obviously it affected them because they began shooting in february and we see them wearing masks on yeah. set yeah um i, I would think have, it affected them less because they were just on set so there wasn't as much well no they would have shut travel down and, they but, but there, down. like like for for falcon and winter soldier was a whole thing of like we're traveling in different countries right. and like here they were just we're in atlanta so it's not as except like like so for a month tom hiddleston had to just hang out in the hotel you know like Right. They probably actually um, got a house. So I know that yeah. a lot of times when these guys go to film things, um, they get a house. And yeah. uh, especially this, they were going to film for like two, three, four months. Like he said like I something like some hundred – he's like 109 days was the original plan or something like that. Yeah. That's a very long that's, – that's, that's over three. That's like four months. So he probably did get a house. And I, mean, I, I would imagine that Marvel owns a bunch of houses down there that they have set up and ready to go. They might now. Yeah. They might now. Although I don't know if they're going to – it's so funny. I'm not sure if they're staying in Atlanta or not. So um, they are currently – It looks like for TV stuff they are at least, right? I mean it makes sense, right? I mean like they have – They're doing – uh, Miss Marvel down there, right? So, and Hawkeye. They were doing everything down there. I mean, like, yeah. everything shot down in Atlanta. I mean, like, but I just don't know what the long term. The thing is that I, when I went on the set of Iron Man 2, Iron Man 2 was shooting in Huntington Beach, California here. 
and they were like, oh, we're, we have this facility here. We're going to just shoot all of our movies right here at this facility. And then that never st- stuck. Well, because um, Atlanta has a better incentive program. But that's the thing is that once the Atlanta incentive goes away or once somebody gets a better incentive, they start shooting in like – do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the big question. Do they start shooting in Croatia? Um, that might end up happening. Like you know, if, they, if they're really setting up like a, a real – the amount of content they're producing, it might yeah. just make sense for them to really go somewhere weird. But they might have houses down there. I don't know. I would think so. I, I would think. And even if they do, you can sell that house later. Well, I'll tell you something. The Pinewood studio that they shoot in Atlanta is pretty far from Atlanta. Yeah. It's like a drive. So I'm imagining that a lot of those guys get houses in the immediate, more immediate area. Although I guess they get chauffeured, so they don't really care. They just sit in the backseat of their car and they get driven home. I don't but know. I mean, you don't want to have to wake up at 4 a.m. to get driven. I guess it depends if you want to actually like be part of like the life. Like you want to like go get dinner and get drinks yeah. because it really is out there. Like it really is like you're truly in yeah. real territory out there. Yeah. Um, and there's like little towns out there that are really cute. Like when last time I went – one of the last times I went down there, we stopped. We were halfway between Pinewood and Atlanta, and we stopped and got – it was for Ant-Man. Um, we stopped and got dinner at this little tiny town, this very fancy restaurant in this little tiny town, this little tiny touristy town, you know? And um, it was delightful. Like it's like one of those towns that people go antiquing in and stuff like that, yeah. you know? Um, it was delightful, and it was like sort of halfway between um, Atlanta and Pinewood. So, Speaking of Ant-Man – Peyton Reed or anyone connected to Ant-Man, if you're listening, which I doubt, but if you are, here's a joke you can use in an Ant-Man movie. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought your name was Ant-Man, not Cant-Man. There you go. Special thanks to Derek Faranci. Yep. You can use that. That's free to use. (laughs) I thought of of that the other day. I wrote it down. I was like, that's a pretty good joke. I wrote it down. Good. I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad you, yeah. you're 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 uh, you're keeping track of these jokes. Um, so did you go I, back? I don't and re- have it here with me, but I wrote it down like a little piece of paper. Did you go back and rewatch any of Loki? I did not. No. <laughs> no. I went back to the beginning and I rewatched the first couple episodes. Did you? Well, I, yeah. I don't want to leave the documentary yet because there is one thing about the documentary that what's I'm that set with. I don't think they spend enough time on Sylvie. I think they just kind of skimmed by her pretty quickly. I was kind of bummed out. You know, I thought there would be more about the actress and, and like her take on like her coming into it and all all the work of, of that she would have to do with Hiddleston to, to because watching the show, they had like similar like mannerisms and stuff. And I feel like that had to be something they worked on. And I was kind of hoping they would. Well, you know, what's the really disappointing thing is that um, she revealed on social media recently that yeah, they, they, she, they made it her suit so that she could breastfeed for her child because she had a child right before. Yeah, filming, right? I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about in a documentary. Yeah. Not necessarily like the whole breastfeeding, but just like being the mother on the set. Like that's like an interesting thing. And I think that's really fascinating. And I would have liked to have learned a little bit more about that. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah i mean she's really great and what's really you know what's really fascinating is that when they talk about the character and the genesis of the character that she is you know sort of their version of this other character who's not a loki yeah but it's loki's apprentice they also talk about the idea that this version of her has also some elements of the classic enchantress yes and it is crazy to me that we are going to be four thor movies deep and the classic oh, enchantress never showed up. 
Yeah, I, when I really thought when she first showed up, I was like, oh, she's going to be Enchantress, right? But I mean, that's what she's going to have to be. And then, no. So I, was I mean, she is going to be the MCU Enchantress. I mean, she, she's I think. called like Sylvie the Enchantress. Right. right. I mean, so. so I think that she's going to be the MCU Enchantress. I think what's really interesting to me, though, is that for a very long time, if you told asked me who the Thor characters were, yeah. The characters I would have said were like Loki, I would have said the Warriors 3, I would have said Enchantress, and I would have said the Wrecking Crew. Like yes. that's like the characters that I would have assumed that you would have used in a Thor movie. Yeah. And the other thing is that Enchantress, um, she's like super hot. Like it's like really weird <laughs> that they did not go with the opportunity to like have like a super hot sex pot character tempting Thor. It's like really sh wild to well, me, actually. I mean, the, that's one thing people complain a lot about the Marvel movies is the lack of any sort of sexual anything in these movies, that they're just blank when it comes to, to sex. You know, and, you know that's, well, that's part of it, right? I mean, but I'm not yeah. even saying this is necessarily a good idea, but yeah. like to have Thor torn between human Jane Foster and like hyper sex pot the Enchantress yeah, is such a gimme idea. I guess I have to give Marvel a lot of credit. They didn't go for that gimme idea that I think would have aged very badly, by the way. Like it probably would have worked back in like 2011, but I think it would have really aged very badly now for us. I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, but I'm really surprised. Like, I think if you made a Thor movie in the 80s, like a real Thor movie, you would have definitely had the Enchantress in it. Oh, if you made Thor five years earlier. Yeah, it would have been like, oh, and we got, you know. I don't know who you get for the Enchantress, but they would have been like, yeah, you know, FHM's sexiest woman of the year is going to be Enchantress. Or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, if, if if it was the 90s, it would have been uh, Pamela Anderson. Yeah, know, here's like, Pamela oh. Anderson as the Enchantress. Yeah, I mean, that's what definitely yeah. what he would have done. I mean, like, yeah. and it's really interesting to me, though, because separate from, like, the idea that she is super hot, and it's like, wild they didn't put this super hot character into the movies, she's also probably one of the most famous Thor characters. Yeah, well, I guess like she's one been really of, one of like four characters that people know. Although I feel like she's probably been de decentralized. I, I don't know how years. I don't know how often she's shown up in the comics lately. Thor Thor has become much more about like Asgardian lore. You know, they they've moved away from the superhero stuff a lot more, I think, with like in the last 10, 15 years. And it's been a lot more like wackiness. Right. So I, I don't know how much, although she was an Asgardian as well, right? She's like, an Asgardian. Yeah, yeah. No, she is. I mean, she fits into all that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just am just like very. I mean, the Thor movies aren't really based on any of the comics, so to speak. Not like that much. No. You know, like, like the Captain America movies are much more comic based. The Iron Man ones, not so much, you know, right. a little bit here and there, but nothing real, but like not nothing deep. But the, I mean, Thor Ragnarok is really World War Hulk. You know, or not World War Hulk, uh, whatever the story Planet is. Hulk. Planet Hulk, right? That, I mean, that's most of that movie, you know, and, and we'll see what the new one is. The, the the new one might be a little more based because with the Jane Foster stuff. I, don't I know think it's the Jane Foster stuff. stuff. I think it's going to be more based on the comics. It's just interesting to me. Just listening to them talk about the Enchantress and then realizing this is probably the Enchantress that we're going to get in the MCU, which yeah. I'm fine with. I think she's great. Sophie DiMartino is unbelievable. What a great she's fucking wonderful. actress. Uh, she's which so good. Which is why I'm kind of bummed that there wasn't more about her in the documentary. I was like, oh, I'm right. looking forward to, to like, like her and, and the actress that plays, the actress that plays B-15, I think they do for what her role was, the right amount. You know, right. I could have used more. I would like to hear more, but I get it. You know, you're you're trying to keep this down to 60 minutes. But Sophie DiMartino, I felt like she they kind of just brushed by her a little quicker than than I would have liked. 
I wonder if she didn't want to do a lot of interviews. Maybe. I, I mean, again, she she was on set with her newborn child, so maybe she was like, I don't really want to sit around and talk to you guys right now. I want to yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that when the EPK crew comes by, sometimes some actors just don't want to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom Hiddleston quite clearly loves talking to them. Loves it. Because he's, he's in 10 different interviews with them. Yes. He's, <laughs> and he's in interviews with other people. Yes, he sure yeah. is. But that really works so well. It's it such does. a great way of doing it. Like, it's such yeah. a great way of doing it. I agree. I agree. Um, I've been on set before when they're doing the EPK interviews. And they really are, no offense to the EPK people, they're, like, very often very boring and very crummy. And because they're supposed to be. Like, it's supposed to be you're getting, like, the quotes that you're going to use in the press kit and shit like that like yeah. this is not like fun stuff but making it fun like this i think is like really terrific and next level and i yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching this documentary like really 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 enjoyed watching this documentary. yeah yeah i thought this was really well done i i, I greatly enjoyed it i i i, I like learning about the different things i i like a little bit about the loki alligator and how they found a a a uh what do you call it alligator a handsome the, alligator well they they need to be handsome but then they were like the guy the workers at ILM support alligator, a support yeah. alligator. I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy. But there you go. There's a support alligator out there somewhere. So that was fun to me. I, I enjoyed that. And, and I liked, you know, the, talking about classic Loki and like all that stuff. Like I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and you know, the, the Owen Wilson stuff was really fun. You know? Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I was happy with it overall. I just wish there was more about Sylvie. I wish they dug more yeah. into that. Fair enough. Um, I did go back and watch the first couple episodes and um, it's crazy. Uh, one, how good this show is from the beginning. It's yeah, so the, good in the, the first show, episode. Uh, this show kicked off right off the bat really well. But um, was, I, I believe we discussed this when we discussed the episodes that I was, I was in right away. Like, but like, I just rewatching it, like with a show like this, where there's like mysteries re- going back to the beginning sometimes can be disappointing because you're like, Oh, I know the mysteries and this is all stupid now. Um, but that is not the case. It's very strong. It's still very strong when you know the answers and see maybe even stronger when you know the answers. But what I was really struck by in the very first episode is that it opens with a scene from Avengers Endgame. Yeah. And I guess because Avengers Endgame is like one of the biggest movies of all time, you can do this, but they just give zero explanation about what's happening. (laughs) It's like kind of fascinating to go back and revisit and think about this, that they just open with a scene from this movie with all these characters and nobody ever says anything about what the fuck is going on in that scene. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't think about that. And it's a scene in Avengers Endgame where they're going back to the first Avengers movie. So it's like it's like it's, it's like it's, it's all like, over the place. Yeah. It's like it's like a flashback within a flashback. You know, it's like really like a lot of levels of needing needing to know what's happening here. And they just go with it. And and I guess again, Endgame's one of the biggest movies ever made. So like I guess you and, can and, do that. And they they really are playing more and more Marvel and we'll see how good or bad this ends up being, but more and more the Marvel movies are becoming more like the comics and that they're just like you either you either know what's happening or you're lost. We're not going to have time to explain everything to you, and you know that's what Wikipedia is for. So they just I actually disagree with that. with that. You think so? I do think that they're sort of doing that, but I think they're actually closer to the old school, which is that we're not going to explain to you every single thing that's happening here, and we think you're going to be able to figure it out. Like we're not we're, we're not going to make it today. Comics are impossible to jump into. Um, but in the old days, they would explain some things, but also they would just l- understand how to present things contextually so that you could figure it out. Um, and I think they're doing that here. 
Like they do a lot about like they they but, sit but they Loki don't. down. And, I, I, I mean, they do. They sit Loki down in the well, first episode and give him his entire life on video. Yeah, yes, they they, they do that. With, but but as you were just saying, they just start with a scene from Endgame. And no, like, for sure. But out. it's like no, but they 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 do bring you up to speed yes, they, as they, the they, thing goes on. They give you a good breakdown of Loki and his past, without a doubt, which is really well done. But they do it in classic comic book way, which is having characters talk about it. Yes. Yeah. characters give each other their backstory you know what i mean yeah and so i think that's the thing i think in modern comics they just wouldn't do any of that like they would just fucking jump in and that would be that and you'd have to go figure it out um but i think that this has a more classic i think that it's wild that it opens that way but they do it at the end of the as the episode goes on they do spend time contextualizing all that i'm just saying it's wild that it opens that way like but again endgame is one of the biggest movies of all time so you can make a reasonable assumption that everybody knows what the fuck you're talking about it's like Star Wars stuff. You know what I mean? There's a reasonable amount of assumptions that you can make. Like when Luke Skywalker shows up in the Mandalorian, there's a yeah. reasonable series of assumptions you can make about the audience understanding of what that yes. means. Yeah. And they may not understand everything because they may not understand where this takes place in the timeline necessarily, but they'll understand enough to go, oh, that's Luke Skywalker. I know who that guy is. Yes. Except for our mother who loves the Mandalorian and was like, who's that guy that showed up at the end? <laughs> she knew who Luke Skywalker was? She hasn't watched Star Wars since they came out. She was like, yeah, she doesn't know. Like, wow. she knows who Luke Skywalker is, but she didn't recognize that, like, oh, that's Mark Hamill from 1984. Like, like that wasn't in her mind, you know? Oh, wow. That's pretty wild. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that also the first episode of the show, they understand all of their strengths so well right from the start. That was, I think, yes. was what I was most amazed by rewatching it was seeing that they were really leaning into their strengths and recognizing that they understood that putting Owen Wilson in a room with Tom Hiddleston for 30 fucking minutes was going to yeah. work out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really ballsy thing to do. I think a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a really impressive thing to be like, Hey, it, it, they're good. And, and not only that, as they bring up in the documentary, they're in that room for 30 pages of, of the, the first episode and they're looking at a wall where later on effects are going to be put in. Right. And it's like, that's impressive. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of trusting the actors, trusting the director, trusting the editor, trusting everything is going to fit properly. And the pacing is going to pan out. And they do a great job. No, they nailed it. I think the other thing is that um, the other fascinating thing, but one, actually, side note. Rewatching the first episode, Loki says to Renslayer, shouldn't be after the Avengers, they're the ones time traveling. Does Loki know they're time traveling? I don't think he does. Oh, no, no, he does, because he knows that there's two Tony Starks there. But does he know that means they're time traveling? I guess he puts two he's jumping to. He's like, there's a time authority here, and I saw two Tony Starks, so therefore... Yeah. One of them must have been a time traveling. T- that makes sense. I'll I'll allow it. Yeah. I think that within the MCU as it stands, without the TVA, he would assume it was a clone or a magic. Or, yeah, life model decoy or something. Yeah. But I guess okay, I'm gonna accept it. Now that he knows there's a TVA and he knows there was two Tony Starks, he's going to assume they were time traveling. Okay, I'll accept it. I was I was watching and I was like, huh, this is fascinating. Did Loki watch Avengers Endgame? Like this <laughs> Is that how he knows? Um, he does later on in the episode, but he yes, had not he yet at that yeah. point. He, he um, watches Thor 2. He, he watches a whole bunch of movies, yeah. yeah. Uh, he gets a whole Marvel He gets the whole Marvel uh, uh, film festival. They, they, they set him down for the AMC festival, yeah. Like, hey, yes. now you can watch Marathon. all 21 movies. And you're like, oh, really? All of them? 
That's a lot. That's a lot, man. That's too many. Uh <laughs> Which, by the way, not to keep going back to something else that they brought up in the documentary, I was shocked by. Until this show, Loki had been on screen for less than two hours across. Yeah, that makes stuff. that makes a lot of sense, though. When you that look seems at actually crazy to me, he's in a lot of of. He's uh, in six movies. Dark World, right? He's all over Dark World. Like, there's a lot of him in that, and. And in in uh, Ragnarok as well, I feel like there's a fair amount of him. I was really surprised it was like less than two hours. Like, wow, that seems shocking. I think that this speaks to how characters and actors um, make an impact. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think that is um, that is what we're learning. When you realize he's been in six movies, it's been less than two hours. In fact, he has more screen time in this show than he's had in the entire Marvel Universe until now that really speaks to the level of impact that an actor yes. and a character can have. Yeah. I, I mean, he is, he exploded right away. Like when it came to playing Loki, like the first movie, he was, he was the draw at the end. Like there's a reason he's right. in so much of dark world and they'd have him team up in dark world because they were like, yeah, man, the people really like Hiddleston. We're going to play it up. Um. So the other thing I, we revisiting the Loki series in general. And the thing we didn't really talk about in our end of um, our, our last episode, I feel like that the end of Loki is the most, um, it's the biggest thing to happen in the Marvel universe since Iron Man. In the Marvel cinematic yeah. universe, I should say. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is really like in the way that Iron Man set up, all of the next, like the three phases, Loki is clearly setting up huge things that are about to come, and and, and it's it's going to be a pivotal point. Right? Not just that, but the way that it, like at the end of Iron Man, when Nick Fury says, "You know, you're not the only superhero out there," that's opening up the door to the universe, and yeah. opening up the door to the multiverse. Here is, I think, as big as that. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, without uh, doubt. that yeah. I think is so huge. And that the other thing I think is that between WandaVision and this, I think that this has proven that Marvel can truly get fundamentally weird and that yes. they're allowed to like that. It'll work. It'll really yeah. work. Not just yeah. in terms of like content, like it, it's a good show, but in terms of, Oh, people love this. Yeah. And I think that that's the other piece of it that's so important. You know what I mean? Like the Iron Man is a test of as a test of concept. You know, like the idea that like can we make a superhero movie this way? Yeah. And yes, we can. And people love it. It turns out, and this is actually incredible. And let's build the entire universe based on this. And then this is can we pivot and do it this way too? And I think the answer is yes. But just like that, revisiting even in the in the documentary, revisiting the moments at the end with Jonathan Majors as the multiverse opens up. It just feels so huge in terms of consequence. Yeah, I, it's, it's meaningful. A, yeah, yeah, it's a huge epic sequence, and 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 you know, you know, it's going to impact everything that's coming. Like everything is going to change now, and and it's something I've seen a lot of people talking about uh, online and being like, like, what's the, if there's a multiverse that none of this matters? It's like, well, first off, do you, that's just comics. Right. right. Like that's how these things always work in comics. But also it still matters because we're following one universe of the multiverse. We're not right. 
you know, unless they really get crazy with it and start going how DC did pre-crisis, where it's like, this book's on Earth 2 and this one's on Earth S. Right. And like, you really go nuts with it. We're always going to be following the same group of characters. Right. Just because there's a countless amount of Tony Starks out there, it doesn't mean that they can just be like, oh, we'll go here and pick up this Tony Stark and put him over here. And then that's fixed. Like, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of different things and pieces that go into it. And it's exciting. And I can't wait for 10 years from now when uh, we watch Avengers Crisis on Infinite Earths and DC vanishes forever because they fail to get off their asses and make stuff right. Uh, <laughs> you're so you're so bitter. I'm just upset that DC, that Warner Brothers had owned all these characters forever. Marvel had to wait until they, they had Disney bought them so they could buy everybody else. And DC could never figure it out. Like, oh, we should probably put these characters together at some point. It's Do you know what that makes me, your, your point about we're following this one timeline, you know what that makes me think of? There's an episode of Deep Space Nine where um, Miles O'Brien ends up doing like some time travel stuff and like meeting up with his own self from the future. Yes. Like 20 minutes in the future. 20 minutes in the future. Yeah. It's like not even that far in the future. And um, in the course of the episode, the Miles O'Brien that we have been following the entire series dies. (laughs) And then we start following the variant Miles O'Brien for the rest of the show. And no one ever mentions it again. No one ever knows. Well, no one knows. None of the other characters know. This all happens in Miles O'Brien's personal life separate. They also do that to his daughter, by the way, where he. Well, she falls into a thing and and she comes out as an adult. Yeah. Or like older. and And then she dies and they're like well okay uh, but i just love the idea that like they do the thing that you're never supposed to do which is they kill the version that we have always been following and then just pick <laughs> yeah. up the guy from 20 minutes in the future and they just go with him that's one of my favorite fucking things like the miles o'brien from the last four seasons of ds9 is a totally different person than yeah. the one we've been following for the previous five so great and, and not in, not including his time on the next generation exactly so yeah. great it's so great yeah uh <laughs> yeah i've seen a lot of that like there's no stakes if there's a multiverse it's like look you and i is. have had this argument in a number of times now on this show which is that there's no stakes anyway if you want to look at it that way yeah. because these heroes are never going to die the, yeah. nine times out of ten the hero doesn't die and the hero doesn't lose nine times out of, yeah. eight times out of ten they don't lose nine times out of ten they don't die and if they lose they're going to win the next time around yeah I, I mean, that's the thing. I don't know how well you remember seeing Infinity War in the theater, but when Infinity War, when I saw it in the theater, the first time I saw it in the theater it was a packed theater. When that movie ended and Cat America fell to his knees and just cut to black, the whole theater was like, what the hell just happened? Because <laughs> no one goes to the movie thinking, and then the Avengers will lose. Like, you just don't think that. Even when you know that there's another one coming a year later, you don't think that this one's going to end with them losing. You know, and that's the exciting thing about that kind of thing is when it does happen, it's very exciting because you're you're not expecting it. And you also know that they're going to win sooner or later. It's, it, you know, you're not going to end on Empire Strikes Back. You're not going to end. On <laughs> yeah. War. Did I you did know. I tell you did I tell on this podcast already my Fellowship of the Ring story? Did I tell it on this podcast? I don't know. Have I ever told you my Fellowship of the Ring story? I'm pretty sure you told it to me. So first time I saw Fellowship of the Ring, 2001. Um, first showing like on a Friday night or whatever it was. And it's in Brooklyn. It's a packed theater and the movie plays. And then the movie, I, th- I feel like we definitely talked about this on one of these shows because um, I, I'm sure you've told me the story. I know you've told me the story before, but I don't know if it was on the show. The movie ends and um, Sam and Frodo have gone off from the rest of the fellowship and they're on their own now. And we see them climb a hill and they crest this hill and they can see Mordor in the distance. 
And then it cuts to credits. And this guy in the audience goes, what the fuck? (laughs) Because in 2001, the idea that there were going to be a bunch more movies was just not a gimme. Like you just, you just didn't like, you just didn't think, well, there's going to be six more of these. So it's fine. We'll figure out. And and, and even, even like, it's very possible back then to have not known they filmed them already. Right. You you have no idea. And so like like back then, like it wasn't a gimme that movies were TV shows. Now movies are TV shows. Like now, you know, like, well, if it's going to end on a cliffhanger, we're going to get the next one in a year or so. And even, you know, whatever happens, we'll figure out next, you know? Um, uh, But that wasn't the case in 2001 at that point. And uh, it was really, that stuck with me for 20 solid years. This guy going, what the fuck? Like he was like so surprised. I have a moment like that different, but very similar when, uh, paranormal activity came out and I saw it in the theater with my buddy, John, uh, John Humber. And when the movie ended, the guy behind us started yelling, it said it was fake, right? It said it was fake. It was fake. Right. <laughs> I've always thought about that. That guy went home terrified that paranormal activity was a true story. It was like an actual documentary. Like, man, that's crazy. It worked on that dude. Well, that's what, how Blair Witch impacted people. Oh yes. I Blair Witch. I mean, that was craziness. That was wild. That was a wild time. I, I, my buddy Ed was obsessed with Blair Witch. He was like, because that was the first movie to really use the internet as well mm-hmm. for, yeah. for advertising. And yeah. like, it was crazy. It was wild. They created fake news. They invented it. So I think that Loki is the best Marvel show so far. I would agree. Without a doubt. And I think that Loki is one of the top Marvel things at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm not ready to say that yet. I'm, uh, we'll see. We'll see as time goes on. Well, I will say that the one thing that I wish they had talked about in the sh- in the documentary was there was a lot of talk when the finale of Loki aired and they did like interviews of people that people were like, we didn't know until the finale aired that we were getting a second season. And I was like, really? No like There's you no made this show that, that doesn't have an ending and you didn't know that it was going to be like, what? Yeah, there's no way it ends on that without knowing they're doing. I mean, I guess it's Marvel, right? So you think, oh, I guess we're going to pick this up in Avengers Seven or whatever. Maybe that's the thing. I don't, I honestly don't know because it was so weird to me that because again, like it, we talked about this in the last episode, it wasn't until we got the confirmation there was a season two that I was okay with the ending of it. Yes, yeah, because it just didn't end. Like it just didn't. And like, and like in the way that people complain that Marvel movies don't end, this really yes. didn't end. It got to a beat, and then it was like, oh, this is not the finale. We haven't wrapped any of these characters' arcs up in any meaningful way. Yeah. Um, and so I wish that we had talked a little bit more about that, about when in the process they decided they were doing a second season and how that impacted the end of the show. I, I refuse to believe that they, even in writing, didn't know that they were going to do a second season. They had to, right? Because first off, I don't imagine that you, 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 you know, Owen Wilson and all these actors, they sign on for multiple seasons, right? Like right off the bat. Yeah, I'm and guessing. Then, but, you know, I think that is like a pretty standard contract at this point is to sign up for, for everybody is just to sign up for multiple things. But I think a TV show is different because it's not like, hey, you're going to make a movie and then in two or three years we'll make no, a I think movie. That, no, I think that you do actually. With a TV show, you, you get an option to get picked up. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think that that exists. Even so for I would like a, a miniseries thing? Like, yeah, I would bet so because I bet that you want to in case you're going to do a sequel or whatever. 
You want to leave your options open. The idea is that you always want to leave the 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 option open for the for the company. The company always wants to protect its itself. So I I mean, I can't imagine every year they have to go back to the same actors for American Horror Story and be like, okay, we need new contracts. Right, and the thing is that because the problem is that like if you want Owen Wilson to come back in season two and you didn't have him signed up for the option, then he's got you over a fucking barrel. And I just can't imagine that you do a contract that way. So what they do is they go, okay, so what it is is standard boilerplate. You know, you sign off for a season, and then we have the option to pick you up for another two seasons if we want to yeah. but you know we're not thinking we're thinking this is really an event series and then the option comes and they, they, they pick it back up yeah but either way in writing i can't imagine they wrote that as the finale and weren't like and there will be another season like they had to know i refuse to believe that that, that well, they ended it like that you know the one thing is that because michael waldron is writing or has written multiverse of madness that was the one thing as that was ending that i was like fuck is this just i mean like this is leading in dr strange in a way that feels unsatisfying like as opposed yeah. to like having dr strange show up um but you know again now that we know this is season two um i guess we'll see i guess we'll see how it all how it all works out yeah yeah and 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 that that's my concern with saying it's like it's one of the best marvel things because we'll see for all we know it shoots the bed in season two you know and then that kind of sure, but let's say Loki season one. Let's specify Loki season one. Well, specifying Loki season one, the ending. I, I have I have problems with the ending. I I really think it. I'm gonna cough. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, this is why I always have my tea. Because this is why he needs his tea. Yeah, this is why. But uh, I I still think it was a mistake not to have the big bad guy be a Loki variant. I think that I I think it it would have played better if it was. I, that's my feeling. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, that is, you know, but I, yeah, that is, that is, that is I the think big thematically that would have worked better. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, they, but they, they wanted to set up Kang, which I get, but I couldn't um, know about that. Yeah. And then, and then I wish that the, even with the idea that it's going to have a second season or whatever, I wish the ending had a little more to it. A little more finality to it a as opposed to a, a big to cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay with it being a big cliffhanger if there's definitely a season two. That's totally fine with me. I mean, I've watched enough TV that I like I like big cliffhangers. Yeah, and it's just I, it's just I, a matter just, of how I experience Marvel stuff is different than how I experience other things. So yeah, it, it's just I, I there's a constant thing in my head now of how many shows have big cliffhangers and then get canceled, and you're like, well, that ruins it. <laughs> like that's right. like the, that's like if you just had an ending to your season, it'd be fine, and I, I could rewatch it and enjoy it. But now I can't because. You have no ending, and like that sucks. I hate right? That, you know? Yeah, I think Marvel's a little more careful than that. They're not like they're not like Fox just canceling fucking shows left and right. I think they're very aware of what they're doing, and yeah. they're. I think they might be willing to actually even lose a little bit of money to wrap up a story properly to be able to bring it into the next thing or whatever. And, and plus, like, like it would definitely be a thing. Like, if for whatever reason nobody watched Loki on Disney Plus, that they would be like, like you said, yeah, okay, we can wrap this up in one of the movies somewhere. We can wrap right. it, you know, right. and take care of it that way. But we'll see, you know, and mainly we'll I, I just I really wish it had been a Loki variant as as the big bad. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I think that's really fair. Um, uh, I think it was, you know, it, I think it works. It's crazy because it's the exact thing that we never thought they would ever do in one of these. Like, you know what I mean? Like that big setup in that way. Yeah. Usually traditionally, we always think that they're actually going to go with like the smaller thing. They always have until now. 
Yes. That's where the Mephisto stuff in WandaVision was always kind of silly because they were never going to just like set up Mephisto on WandaVision. They were going to have it tied in together in its own thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but this, they went big. They went big. Michael Waldron came in and said, what if we go big on this one? Yeah. And, and, and this is something too that I saw a lot of people complain about it is like the lack of mystery to this. Like, like it's kind of goofy and we just know it's Kang. We know Kang's out there and there's no mystery to what's going to happen next. It's like, yeah, but you know, the Avengers ended with it being like Thanos, <laughs> like here's right. Thanos, here he is. Like Marvel's not about mystery. They don't do mystery. There's no mystery of who the big villain is going to be. They tell you right up front. It's always about, um, it's always about the tease as opposed to the mystery. It's always, it's always intended to send you to Wikipedia to look things up. That's always how it works. It's never about like, you yeah. know, who could it be? It's always like, it's me. I'm this guy. Yeah. And then that's, that's it. And then you're like, okay, now I got to run and look this yeah. up and find out about and, it. And, and then if you know who it is and you don't need to look it up, the, the exciting thing is watching how their, their machinations and their plans come together. And what are they going to do? Like, yeah. Like Kang's goal. What is it going to be? I'm so excited to find out. Right. Which Kang story are they pulling from? How's it going to work? Like that's, yeah, that's, that, that, that's a big part of it. That's the interactive part of the MCU that I think the haters don't get like, and I get it. Like, that's fine. That's not for you, but that is for people like me. And I think like you, that's part of what we enjoy. Like that yes. interactive, like that speculation and trying to figure it out and trying to, trying to get a step ahead. Yeah. And you know, that's fun. That's it. I hope they do a better job with Kang set up than they did with Thanos set up because I think they really stumbled with Thanos and, and the infinite stones. <clears throat> so here's the thing, right? You're right. However, Thanos has become a huge pop culture icon. Oh, it, 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 <laughs> so like, yeah, I, I'm speaking from my own personal. Yeah, yeah. Opinion. No, I yeah. agree. It's like one of those things where it's like we both agree they didn't do it right, but they did it right because it worked. So like, it's like funny. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's funny in that way. And that when we look at it, and at the time I was complaining about it as they were doing yeah. it, I was like, why is this? This is so. This is not working. They're not setting up Thanos correctly. Um, or the Infinity Stones correctly, for that matter. Uh, but in the end, it worked. Like people got it, and people loved Thanos, and the characters landed in a big way yeah. and became part of the pop culture lexicon in a yeah. way that I never would have imagined that he would. Oh no, no, I, I can't believe we live in a world where where people just random people on the street know who Thanos is. It's, like, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> so on the one hand, you're right; they did not do it right. But on the other hand, they did it 100 percent right because it really fucking worked. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. 100 percent worked. So. All right. That's my theory. All right. So that's it for Loki. Uh, we are going to be on a hiatus for the next couple of weeks. We're going to come back for what if that's going to be our next Marvel show. Um, mm -hmm. So keep your eye on this feed in the next Which couple of weeks, Wednesday. August 11th, that show debuts, but depending if there's anything big between now and then we might have an emergency episode. There's a big trailer uh, or yeah, uh, big weeks. news. Um, so yeah, we, Spider-Man trailer could drop at any moment. Yeah. We'll do an episode of Spider-Man trailer drops. So, or if there's another Eternals or whatever, um, we will be back to talk about that stuff in a shorter episode. Um, the beauty of this being a free show is that we don't feel like we have to give it to you every single week because we're not yeah. paying for it. Um, but in the meantime, this is a free show, but we have other shows that are subscription only. We have a show where every single week we talk about Star Wars TV shows. We're currently in the home stretch of the first season of The Bad Batch. It's in the new Star Wars cartoon. And our show is called The Bad Batch. And you can get that by subscribing at the $1 or above level at patreon.com slash cinemasanga. Sanga is spelled S-A-N-G-H-A. And if you're a Marvel person, well, then you really want to go at the $5 level because that's where you get Watchmen. And Watchmen is our monthly superhero deep dive show. Every month we talk about a different superhero movie. We go long. We go quite long on that show. 
our latest episode is the only place you're going to hear us talking about Mar- uh, Black Widow, the latest MCU movie. So if you have been watch- listening to us talk about Loki and you want to know what we think about Black Widow, you're going to get two hours and 40 fucking minutes of it if you subscribe at the $5 and above level at Cinema Sangha Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash cinema sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. Uh, the next episode of that is going to be coming in a couple of weeks, right? Actually, around the same time as What If comes on. We're going to be doing The Suicide Squad. All right, Derek, where can they find you in the meantime? You can find me on Twitter at WH underscore Woolhat. And you could find me on Twitter at DevonCF. And until we meet again, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe. But most of all, may you be burdened with a glorious purpose. Purpose.